Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. I was on my way to church this morning. I was like, man, we should have told you to bring snacks and picnic lunches, because I really do love to talk about Jesus, of all the things in the world, of all the things that get me excited, of all the things that make me feel alive. It's talking about him, and, and it's, just, it's just such a oh, it's just so fun. It's just so much fun because when, we, when we're talking about him with people who love him and people who don't, um, it stirs faith. And more than anything, honestly, I think it stirs my faith. Um, so it's a little selfish too. I'm like, oh, let's, get, let's all get together and talk about Jesus so I feel good. <laughs> you know, but, um, but he, he so delights in our conversation about him because in those conversations, we give him great honor. Um, And so, Jesus, we just welcome you into this conversation this morning. We say, Lord, would you come? Would you come, Jesus, in your goodness and your kindness and your gentleness and come and speak to our hearts this morning, Lord? Right now, we just muzzle the mouth of the enemy that tries to breathe the the lie of, that's not for me. We muzzle the lie of the enemy that says, that's not for me. Right now, in the name of Jesus. And we grab hold of all you have for us this morning. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Um, Jesus is so kind. This morning I found my favorite pair of earrings. They have been missing for weeks. And they're, they're two different ones. One's silver, one's gold. Um, and they say love justice when you put them together. My best friend and I bought justice earrings, love earrings, took them apart. Now I read love justice. Um, and that's important. Righteousness and justice, the foundations of the throne, And so I was just blown away by his kindness this morning. So here at Seashore, what has become kind of an anthem for us is the the Father's House, the Corey Asbury song, My Father's House. And and it's just such a powerful, powerful song. It's, It's such a powerful, powerful truth. Failure won't define me because that's what my father does. Failure and shame won't define me. That's what my father does. You never want a perfect, you just want in my heart. And the story isn't over if the story isn't good. Prodigals come home, the helpless find hope. Prison doors fling wide, the dead come to life. Miracles take place, the cynical find faith. Love is on the move and love is breaking through and the father's in the room. And I know that this is true because this is my experience. I know that this is true because this is my experience. And so every time we worship And we sing that place, God takes me back to his house. I'm a prodigal. I was a prodigal. For years and years and years, I squandered all that I had until I landed in the pig pen. And I, in fact, today, 15 years ago, surrendered all that I was to Jesus while I was in a drug and alcohol rehabilitation center. So I'd made some pretty poor, poor choices. I'd hurt a lot of people. I'd hurt my family, all the things. And, and 15 years ago, I entered into my father's house. And he didn't wait on the porch for me. He came running out to meet me with a ring and a robe. He gave me an identity in that moment of you are my beloved daughter. You are my favorite kid. And that's a truth that's not just for me. That is a truth for you. You are his favorite kid. 
Kiri's favorite. I remember Sam and I were dating, and I remember telling him once, I was like, just so you know, if you marry me, I'm pretty awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I am awesome, and I know that. And I, I think back now, and I'm like, oh, what was I? We hadn't even known each other that long. Like, what was I thinking? But you know what? When you know that you're God's favorite kid, it's okay to say I'm awesome because we recognize that I'm awesome because of all that he is in me. It's got nothing to do with me. It's got to do the, with the fact that he, we've allowed him to change us. And so I told him I was awesome. And then he made a good choice, and he married me. <laughs> About four years later. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, but. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> so my relationship with Jesus is really simple, right? It's really simple. I didn't get saved into a denomination. I got saved into a family. And so I re- my relationship with Jesus is really love Jesus, shama, listen and obey, and love people, right? And I love that we talked about shama last week or the year, week before. We talk about shama in my classroom a lot. I teach fifth grade. How do, we, how do we listen to Jesus? And then how do we act? How do we obey? So going back to the Father's house, I know that all that's true because this is my experience. And this morning, I want to walk you through a journey. I want to walk you through an adventure um, that God has had me on since 2008. And it's really cool because back in 2008, fairly newly saved, and, and having all kinds of really, really awesome, radical encounters with the Lord because I was so hungry for him, so hungry for him, that he, he took me into his house. And I remember once sitting on the floor in worship, and I, I kind of came, came to, and I was sitting at this incredibly lavish fireplace, this beautiful fireplace, and it was a roaring fire. It was in winter too, so it just felt really good. And it was this big fireplace, and, and I just saw two pairs of feet. One pair of feet was instantly recognizable as my own because I was wearing my slippers. I've got the best slippers in the world. They're like sheepskin slippers, and they're amazing. My mom sends me slippers every time there's an opportunity. So it was my pair of slippers up on the, the coffee table, propped up on the coffee table. And then there was another pair of feet that were really big. But there was nothing scary in those really big feet. And I just kind of sat in that moment. And eventually I kind of looked around, and it was this beautiful, beautiful living room. And now, when we, when I love the way that Jesus talks to us when he's showing us things using our sanctified imagination. What I would picture maybe as a beautiful living room might not be what you picture. And so he wouldn't show us the same thing necessarily, right? Because it's all about him trying to get hold of our hearts. And in that moment, he said to me, my dwelling place is your dwelling place. We live from heaven not to heaven. Heaven is my home. Heaven is where I make my home. And because of that, I have the backing of heaven when I'm praying, right? So my dwelling place is his dwelling place. I get to have kingdom perspective because of where I'm seated. In Ephesians, it tells us that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, right? So if I think back when I was a kid, in my house, I knew that there wasn't going to be soda in the fridge. 
Right, we didn't drink soda as kids. I knew there wasn't going to be soda in the fridge. I knew that what the boundaries were in our home. I'm, I'm one of three. I'm the eldest of three. And I knew what the boundaries were in our home. I knew that in our home, we weren't going to jump on the beds. I won't lie. It was super fun when I went to visit friends and they were allowed to jump on the beds. <laughs> I didn't say no. Right? So I knew that in our house, we weren't allowed to jump on the beds. So when I had friends over, I certainly wasn't going to suggest a game that involved jumping on the beds. I also, when offering them a drink, wasn't going to offer them soda because it wasn't available. And I knew that because I understood the rules of my house, right? But in our home, it was more than okay to go for a swim well after it had gotten dark in the summer. So if we were having a sleepover, I knew that at half past ten at night, I could say to my friends, hey, let's go for a swim, and I knew that I was going to have the backing of my parents in that because that was a boundary. It was okay in our house. It was allowed. And that's how it works. When we understand that his dwelling place is my dwelling place, I live from heaven to earth. I can ha- be fully aligned with the thoughts of God. It says to us that he, in the Bible that he makes his mysteries known to us through Holy Spirit. I have access to that. I can pray direct prayers and, and I see crazy cool things happen because I understand that I'm operating this way and not this way, right? So this is in this living room, and it's, it's just really beautiful. And I remember being there for a really long time. And over a period of time, Jesus unveiled more and more and more and more of his house. And so the next place he took me was to the dining room. And I remember very clearly when he said, today's the day we go to feast. And I was, ooh. Jesus and I have a very conversational relationship. I, I understand that he's my best friend. Right, so, so yes, he is all-powerful, almighty, all-holy, an awesome, magnificent, incredible God, but we also have lots of fun together, and we giggle and we laugh, right? And he opened these big, it was like these big barn doors, and he swung them open, and he said, look what we have, and it was this really long table, and there was everything that you could possibly have imagined on this table, just foods and drinks. It was, it was beautiful, 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 and with all these seats, and there was nobody there yet, but I had the sense that people were coming, and so we went in, and he sat at the head of the table, and I kind of, I kind of edged my way closer to the table, and understand that in this moment, what he's really teaching me is identity, Right? Because Jesus is showing me things because he wants to do a work in me that is so deep that it will leave me forever changed. And so he's meeting me where I'm at. I wasn't ready for the dining room in the first encounter I had with Jesus. I was ready to sit on the couch with him. I was ready to just be in his presence and know that that was a good, safe place to be. So I walk into this dining room and I kind of look at it and he sits down and he's like, oh my gosh, look at this, this is awesome. And I kind of walk walk down the table, and very slowly, way down on this end, I pull out a chair. And Jesus says, what are you doing? I was like, well, I'm going to have a seat. Like, I'm ready for the feast. I'm going to have a seat. He was like, no, sweet love, up here. I want you to sit real close. Don't go and sit down on the end of the table. 
I want to talk to you. I want to laugh with you. I want to be with you. You are worthy of a seat right next to me at the table. We feast together. And in that moment, I learned what it was to really be a daughter, right? He wanted me really close. He could have picked anybody, and he wanted me really close. And I just remember like, what? What? He wants you. He wants you really close at the table. And so the the dining room kind of filled... And there was, there was chatter and laughter and conversation. And, and I'm still in this vision and I'm like blown away by this, this awesomeness. And Jesus says, hey, you know what? We don't have to stay. And he gets this really goofy look on his face. He's like, we don't have to stay. I want to show you something. And we go through into this kitchen and it's this gorgeous big kitchen with aluminum, um, a big aluminum, fr- aluminum looking fridge, big shiny silver fridge. And he's like, because my dwelling place is your dwelling place, we can eat out of the fridge. And in that moment, what he was saying is, when you live in this house, you have access to the fullness of heaven. I don't go into a stranger's house, sit at their dinner table and go, this is not what I feel like. I'm going to see if there are leftovers in the fridge. But in my own house... I get to open the fridge. I get to choose what I'm having out of the fridge because I live there, right? It's my home. Heaven is our home. His dwelling place is my dwelling place. As a daughter, as his favorite kid, I get to snack out of the fridge. And so Jesus and I in this place sat at the table and ate ice cream out the bowl. When I was growing up, we were not allowed to eat ice cream out the tub. We had to put it in a bowl. Jesus and I ate ice cream out the tub, and it was glorious. And it sounds silly. You're like, wait, you were in this vision with Jesus? And it sounds silly. Jesus desires to talk to us in ways that will connect with us. I, I am a very vivid dreamer. I dream in... I dream in color. Isn't there a song like that? I dream in color. I dream very vivid dreams. I am a, I, I am a seer. I think in pictures. I love, I love color and pictures. And, you know, that's how he gets me. Right? It's one of the ways that he talks to me. He so delights to. That might not be for you. He wants to give you these same truths in a way that connects to your heart. Like, this is not just for me. This is not about me. This is about what he wants for you. Right? So, so we're in this, this dining room and... And he says to me, you know, you have direct access. In Ephesians, it says that we have direct access in the realm of the Holy Spirit to come before the Father. In Hebrews, it says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Boldly. Well, because it's my house. Because I can just go to my parents. I don't have to make an appointment. I never once made an appointment to talk to my mom and dad. Not ever. Not even when we live in different time zones. I just burn them. Right? And when we understand this, we're able to pray prayers that are rooted in faith and not rooted in, in fear. You see, there are times when we're praying and we're asking God for things and we don't even realize that the, 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 the very foundation of our prayer is fear. 
because we're not sure if he's going to do what we're asking. Well, it's because we haven't understood that we're his favorite kid with full access to the kingdom of heaven, full access to all that he has, living with him in heavenly places. So, so we do things like, Jesus, if it's your will, would you please come and heal this person's foot? Please, Jesus, please, they're struggling. Would you come and help them rather than... Jesus, I thank you for the authority that you gave me in heaven. And so in the name of Jesus, I command this foot to be healed. Right? So we, we, we change the way we pray from, from being rooted in a place of fear. Well, I don't know, Jesus, if you really want me. Is it your will that the country is at peace? I don't know, Jesus. Is it? Rather than in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Right? And then he took me to a place, and I call it the weeping room because a friend of mine has had a similar experience, and that's what she always called it. I didn't have a, I didn't have a way to explain this room, but I remember there being a hallway, and I was like, Jesus, can we go down there? Could we? Huh? Now, remember, this is over time. This is not all in one moment. Jesus only gives us what we're ready for. It's like an onion. He prepares us. When the skin is nice and crispy and golden, it peels off really easily. If it doesn't, you peel off too much and you cry and it hurts. So he waits until we're ready. And we went down this hallway and there was just this very ordinary door. A very ordinary door. And he said to me, like, it's going to be hard in there. And I was like, it's okay, Jesus, I got this. And gently I pushed open the door and, and it was just an empty room. Just an empty room with a hardwood floor. Not even a finished hardwood floor, just a hardwood floor. And the entire wall across from the door was a window. And suddenly I was aware just how high up the house was because out the window I saw sky. And in the corner of the room there was a simple wooden chair. Nothing fancy not varnished, not with a cushion, just a simple wooden chair. And Jesus sat in this chair, and he looked out of the window. And as he looked out of the window, he started to cry. And so very slowly, I walked up to the window, and what I saw wrecked my heart. And it ruined me forever. Because I got a glimpse of the things that break Jesus' heart. I got a glimpse of the things that he weeps over. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus is fully joyful, right? Jesus can be both and. So Jesus is all joy, all peace, all powerful, and he still weeps over what he sees his children enduring. He weeps over the trauma that people experience. He, re he weeps over the wars of the world. He weeps over and fill in the blank. And so I sat with him on the floor and we just cried. There's something beautiful about just being willing to sit at his feet and cry with him. 
And in the corner of the room, behind his chair, there was a really tiny door. And I said, Jesus, what's through that door? And he said, oh, that's the strategy room. That's the strategy room. That's where we go to deal with that out the window. That's where we go. And I said, but Jesus, it's such a tiny door. How do I get through? And he said, oh, sweet love, we've got to grow small first. You've got to be willing to grow small. And, and I, think, I think a lot of us feel like this. We so desperately want to be doing something. We so desperately want to be having an impact. We so desperately want, are wanting to see change in our families, in our cities, in our world, in our nation, in nations around the world. We, we so des- in our workplaces, we so desperately want to see change. And so we just go for it, right? And there are times when just going for it is, is great. There are times when Jesus is like, hey, I trust you, whatever you want to do. But there is great, great... Um, I don't know what the word is. In, in waiting for the strategy of heaven, there, there is great power in that. And so I sat with him. And I want to say it was years. It wasn't years. But I would just go and I would be with him in that place. And for the longest time, my prayer, and, I, and this is a prayer that I still, more than any other prayer I pray, it's this one. Jesus, teach me to see what you see. Teach me to feel what you feel. Break my heart for the things that break yours. And teach me to love like you love. I pray that more than anything else. And I learned to pray that prayer in the weeping room. Because looking out on the stuff, the junk... The junk that makes Jesus' heart weep and hurt for his people, for his beloved, for his children. If I'm going to make if I'm going to change that, if I'm going to see a lasting impact, I need to do it his way. I need to do it his way. And to do it his way, I need to see what he sees. Because you know what? When Jesus looks out, he doesn't look at awful, terrible people doing disgusting things. He looks at beloved children, people he loves who have believed a lie. They've believed a lie. One of the most powerful truths I ever learned was I was in Kenya and we were working in, in, within the brothels of Kenya um, Mombasa is a big, big port within the, uh, the sex slave industry, and specifically children. And so we were working with a lot of children, children as young as eight. And I remember we would, we would spend time in the, in the clubs and on the streets, just hanging out, just making friends, building connection. My heart, my goal is never to convert you. My goal is to love you, and Jesus does the rest, right? Holy Spirit convicts. I just love. That's my job. And so we would sit and hear stories and hear stories and hear stories. And I remember the one day I was sitting with a John, right? So a John is the person that is purchasing 
the, the woman or the child, right? You have the pimp and you have the John. And I was sitting with this man listening to his story, and suddenly Jesus said, I love him with the same love that I love the woman he's hurting. And that's a really hard truth to hear. It's really hard, and I never want to minimize somebody's trauma. Don't ever feel like your trauma is being minimized. But they're his beloved. They're his beloved. And so I would pray this prayer, Jesus, teach me to see what you see, so that when I'm talking to that man, I really see the treasure that you put in him when you created him. Teach me to feel what you feel, Lord, so that when I'm dealing with that man, I'm feeling your heart for him, God, because you love him and you want him. Break my heart, God, for the things that break yours because the sin that he's caught up in is hurtful. And it breaks your heart, God. It breaks your heart because it keeps him from you. And give me the strategy to teach me how to love. In that weeping room, I prayed prayers like creating me a pure heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I prayed prayers of give me clean hands and a pure heart. Right? I prayed prayers of search my heart, O oh God, and see if there's any wicked way in me and take it out. My time in the weeping room was the most beautiful time of personal revival because God wants to purify our hearts. He wants to revive our hearts so that all he's calling us to can be sustained because he wants us to go the distance. God is not interesting, interested as much in a ministry moment and a ministry moment and a ministry moment where we go from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop. He's like, I want you to go the distance. And so it's about your heart and it's about your character and it's about getting you right and ready. And so there were times when I'd say, am I ready? Can we do it? Can we go through the door? And he'd say, no, not yet. You're not small enough. You're not small enough. Going into the strategy room comes with incredible responsibility because it comes with incredible favor. There is unmerited favor in the strategy room of God because he miraculously opens doors that no human could ever possibly open. But he wants to make sure that your character is ready to carry all of that so that you can go the distance. So there came a day where he was like, okay, today's the day, we're doing it, we're going in. And instantly, I was like, I can't, Jesus, not ready, can't do it. I've been asking for months, not ready, can't do it, can't. Because suddenly the enemy came and he was like, oh, but remember when you were 16 and you did this and then you did this and then you did this and oh my gosh, you did this and you're a terrible person because you made this choice and that choice and you hurt this person and you, all the things, all the things, all the junk that I thought I'd like dealt with. And the truth is, I had dealt with it. The truth is, the enemy was going to feed me a lie that said, oh, you haven't. And so it all came up. And so I said to Jesus, I was like, but what about? And so he was like, come, come with me. Next room. We went into a room that I call the story room. And we, I opened this room. It was beautifully carpeted. And in the, in the corner of the room, there was nothing but a table and a chair, except this chair was beautiful. 
It was ornate. It had a velvet cushion. It was really, really beautiful. And on this table, there was nothing but a book, just a book. And I looked around, and there were photographs, Polaroid pictures that lined the walls from ceiling to floor all the way around, well, not all the way around the room. It started this side, and I went kind of like that. And it, and it ended. There was a blank space on the wall. And when I looked around, I realized, this is my life. This is my life. I saw baby pictures. I got a lot of baby pictures of me with really cute animals. I love animals. Most of my baby pictures are with animals. Me and the cats, me and the dogs, me and the cows, me and the sheep, me and the... We had a jackal when I was little. I lived on a farm. We had a jackal, me and the jackal. Me and the meerkat, me and the... You know, all the animals. We had a meerkat. I love a possum. I haven't had a possum yet. I asked and my husband said no. So, me and all the animals, right? And I grew up... And in these pictures, I saw all the things, and suddenly I looked at the pictures, and they were the things that I'd done that I was ashamed of. They were the things that I'd done that I was ashamed of. And I stood in that room, and I said, Jesus, this is why I'm not ready. <laughs> Sometimes it's okay to stamp your feet with Jesus. This is why I'm not ready. See, I'm terrible. I'm the worst. Look at all the things. And as I did one of those, like, look at all the things, Jesus. Blood started to pour down from the ceiling. And it covered those pictures and erased, erased the stuff that was yucky. Baby pictures of the cute animals still, still were there. But all those things of which I was ashamed that I thought disqualified me from entering into the strategy room where Jesus wanted to give me strategies to impact Right? They disappeared. And he said, I don't see them. There is nothing that you can do. There is nothing that we can do to make ourselves holy, to make ourselves righteous. Jesus does that. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. There is nothing that we can do. He he sees us through the blood of Jesus, and we are made, our transgressions are made white as snow. It tells us that. Right? And so we went into the strategy room, and I, this is something that, that we do. It's become a, a thing with Jesus, because when you're willing, when you're willing, you can. Anybody can. I'd rather do things his way than my way. My way doesn't always work. There are times when I've said to him, Jesus, I need your strategy, and he has reminded me, you are not small enough. Okay, Jesus. About two or three weeks ago, I said to Clayton, I was like, I'm just back in a process of growing small, growing small, growing small. I'm needing strategy, and I'm needing to grow small because I'm not small enough right now. So this is an ongoing, an ongoing thing. This is a process. I've never arrived Never. This is a process, right? And Jesus, I, I stood in that strategy room, and, and there's this big architect's table, and I stood over the architect's table with Jesus, and he unrolled a blueprint, and all around the room, there are blueprints. And I was like, Jesus, what are these for? And he was like, these are the answers. These are the answers to all of that out there. This is the answer to all of that out there. And so we unraveled blueprints, and he taught me and showed me. 
and he's given some amazing strategies. I, <laughs> I was in Kenya, and I had a dream one night of a snake falling out of a tree. It was actually, it was not a tree, it was a, a, a thatch. Do you know what thatch is? Right, okay, so it was a thatch, it was like a grass roof, like a thatch roof, little overhang over a, a gateway. And in this dream, I was walking, and the snake jumped, like dropped in front of me, and it woke me up. And instantly, I was like, Jesus, what do I do? Give me the strategy. And he said, stand on its head. So I actually got out of bed, and I stand, stood on its head, right? Thank you, Jesus, that I can stand on the heads of snakes and scorpions, and I went back to bed. Two days later, I had some of the kids that were in our, our, our children's home. I had some of the kids, and we'd gone swimming. And we were walking through a gate, and there was a thatched roof. And as I was about to walk through, a snake fell before and landed on my feet. And I, didn't, I wasn't afraid, not a single bit, because Jesus had already given me the strategy. So in the name of Jesus, I stand on the heads of snakes and scorpions. We went through a period of about a month where snakes were just falling out the trees. I'd go and hang laundry and snakes would fall out the trees. They'd fall on my head. They'd fall on my shoulders. Snakes were just falling out of trees, folks. Falling out of trees right? My kids would say, Mama Kim, there is a snake. And my response is, go and get the adult. And then I realized, I am the adult. I'm coming. Right? Not once did I kill a snake. Not once. Because I was afraid. But I stood there and I was like, in the name of Jesus, you turn around and you get out. And I would wag the snake out the house because it doesn't belong because Jesus has given me the strategy. I stand on heads of snakes and scorpions, right? And then the one day he was like, hey, it's because there's a Hindu festival going on next door. It's been happening for a month. If you just pray and worship over the Hindu festival, the snakes will stop falling. Thanks, Jesus. That's all we did. No more snakes. The strategy of heaven, right? The strategy of heaven. I didn't arm myself with a machete. That would have been dangerous and stupid, right? I did call the guard for a frog, though. Couldn't deal with a frog. Joseph, it's a frog. Right? So... The strategies of heaven don't always align with our own thinking. I had lunch with a rebel soldier once, and that sounds kind of, kind of crazy, but I was living in Congo, which is a war zone. It's an active conflict zone, and the conflict is civil. It's between, uh, no, it's not civil. It's a civil war. Um, it's, it's government army and then rebel groups, and there are multiple of them, and we were operating in a village that was rebel-held, so the government was not in this village. It was only rebel armies, and this one village was held by two rebel armies. Sometimes they were friends. Sometimes they were not, and we were in this village, right? And oh, Jesus wants us to dream big, and so I said, Jesus, what, is, what are we doing here? And he was like, you're stopping a war. Okay. We're stopping a war. How? I don't know. But we are here to end a war. We are here to end a war because your beloved, your favorite kids deserve to live in peace. And so we are here to end a war. And he said, well, spend time in the strategy room. Jesus said, well, to end a war, people need to put down their weapons. So have lunch with the rebels. You just say yes to Jesus, right? You just, don't ask questions. You just say yes. Yes, Jesus. And then you know what? I didn't even have to organize the lunch date. They just showed up at our door. It was great. They showed up and we sat. And I, I remember sitting with this, this one particular man. I was, we were sitting 
And he sat down on the chair and he said, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. You see, the world talks about rebel soldiers and they're like, they're worthless. They rape and they kill and they loot and they burn and they destroy. And yeah, this man is so tired. And in that moment, Jesus said, he is my favorite son. I hate what he does, but I love who he is. Would you be willing to fight for his heart? Right? The strategy of the world says, write him off. The strategy of the kingdom, the blueprint of heaven, says, figure out a way to connect with his heart. Include him in what you're doing. Right? And that man eventually did give his life to Jesus. He did put down his weapons. And he did join what we were doing. Because it's the strategy of heaven. When we tap into the strategy of heaven, awesome things happen. We don't have to work as hard, right? Activism is a really good thing, but it can be really exhausting if we're doing it in our own strength. The strategy of the kingdom, kingdom strategy, understanding his dwelling place is my dwelling place. I live from heaven to earth. I have full access to everything that is, in, that is there. I can pray prayers that are directly aligned with heaven using the blueprints that he's given me there can be nothing but lasting change. There can be nothing but lasting impact. And every single time, it points directly back to him because there is nothing that I could have done to make that happen. There is nothing that you can do to make the kingdom strategies come to pass. It has to be him. And everything that we do, everything that we say, every interaction that we, we have should point to Jesus because only he is worthy only he is worthy. So when I look around our country right now, when I look around the world, Jesus wants to give us, he wants to give the church strategy. God is the ultimate strategist. He sent Jehoshaphat out and told him to start a choir. And in Jehoshaphat obeying and starting a choir, the enemy ambushed each other. The strategy of heaven says, hey, walk around the city seven times and you're going to see the walls crumble. Because it's the strategy of heaven, right? And so when we look about and, and we, we desire, so desire to see change, I really do believe that God is asking us, He's asking us to sit with him and allow ourselves to be transformed into his likeness so that we can run the distance. God doesn't want tired children. God wants empowered children, right? He wants an army that is willing to go the distance. So sometimes we pray big, big prayers, and I do this too. Jesus, send me. I remember very clearly. I was in Mozambique, 2010. It's like, Jesus, send me. Send me, send me, send me, send me, send me. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. Anywhere you want me to go, I'll go. 
right? Dangerous prayer to pray. Broke my heart for war zones and sent me into a conflict zone. But after three months in Mozambique, he said to me, Kim, what if? He was like, what if this happens? And I won't go into detail. What if this happens? Is your yes still your yes? Yes, Jesus. And what if you are mugged? And what if you are robbed? And what if you are beaten? And what if, fill in the blank, it only got worse. What if, what if, what if? Will you still go? And I said, yes, Jesus. Because by that point, he'd broken my heart so much for the people that he loves there. That it was a will, I would willingly have given up my own life. He wants to get us to that place. Because it's not about us. I know where I'm going, but there are people who don't. And even after that, and I'd say, Jesus, send me, use me. I'd say things like, God, give me more. I just want more. I just want more. Give me more. And I'm so glad he didn't always answer my prayers then. Because not only do I want to pray big, powerful prayers, but I want to pray timely prayers. I want to pray the prayers that are in the right time so that I'm ready to carry all he gives me. Our character increases our carrying capacity. He is more concerned about the inside of us than he is with what we're doing. That sounds crazy because there are a lot of people that need Jesus. Jesus is more concerned about you and your heart and your connection with him, your communion with him, than he is with what you're doing. Sometimes we just need to sit down on the couch in that big fancy living room and put our feet up on the table and watch the fire. My cats have no problem doing that. Sometimes we have to do the same thing because it's in that moment, it's in that moment of connection and communion that we are changed into his likeness. It is that moment that we are grown small. It is in the weeping room at his feet as we learn to see what he sees and feel what he feels and allow our hearts to be broken for the things that break his that we become ready He wants us to go the distance. The transformation process happens in the living room, not in the strategy room. The transformation process happens at his feet and not on the battlefield. Right? Sometimes God is asking us just to be with him. And it's really hard in a season when we look around and we're like, there's no time to just be with you, Jesus. There's so much crazy. I must be doing something. just wants to be with us because in that place we grow small and in that place he can use us mightily for lasting impact one more room that he took me into that I'll share about this morning was a room of robes And I went into this room of robes long after I'd been into any of the other rooms. And we walked in and there were these beautiful, it was a a room that just had this long clothes rack. There were just these beautiful, beautiful robes and gowns and things. And I will tell you, like, I'm, 
I would not have done well in the 1800s. Whenever it was that they wore corsets and dresses with 20 layers, I would not have done well in those times, right? I would, it would have driven me crazy because I would have felt trapped, trapped by a dress. Okay, so I, I, but, but I, I looked at these robes and I was like, yes, like this is, this is beautiful. And he looked at me and he was like, well, honey, why are you wearing rags? Why are you wearing rags? When all this is yours, you're choosing to wear rags. You see, sometimes we can know that his dwelling place is our dwelling place. Sometimes we can know that we operate from heaven to earth and we have access to the fullness of heaven. Sometimes we can know that we are his favorite and yet still we choose to get up and put on our rags because we feel like that makes us humble and that is not that is false humility and so we wear this false humility like oh well um it's really it's, it's not about me and I don't have and I no Jesus made you awesome you can tell people I did and I got him forever right just this morning I was like I'm sorry I'm being a princess please can you make coffee right because I know I'm a princess not in the bad way I'm a I'm a princess Okay, so sometimes we wear rags because we think that that is, that is a humble way to be. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm worthless, Jesus. Just less of me, Lord, less of me and more of you. No, Jesus created you. He created all of you. He wants all of you, and then he's going to cover all of you with all of him. He doesn't want you to pray yourself out of the picture. He wants all of you just as you are, and he's going to cover you with himself so that the very best parts of you shine and the very worst parts of you dissipate into nothing. I have kids at school that play this imaginary game. And in this imaginary game, there are creatures. The creatures are not allowed in my classroom. Like, hey... This is a castle. It's been fortified. The creature can't come in here, not during math. can be out at recess. And the other day, a creature jumped out of my bathroom. Mrs. Sansalone, it wasn't. They call them the plebs. Mrs. Sansalone, that, wasn't, that creature wasn't a pleb. It was a plebe. It's like, oh, tell the plebe he's got to leave. But, but with this game, they have this thing of, well, when, when, it gets, um, when it gets burnt up by the sun, it explodes and the pieces just fly everywhere. And I was like, what happens to those pieces? Like, they're just going to lie on the playground? Like, that's gross. Oh, that is gross. It's the acid in their saliva that chews up the pieces. It eats away at the pieces. Great. And then I, so that means the pleb is a conductor of electricity. So what I'm trying to say here is when we allow Jesus to cover all of us, with all of him, the yuckiness in us, it dissipates, it disappears, it dissolves into nothingness. It's gone. It's gone. It's like the acid in the saliva of the plebe creature. Right? It's gone. He wants to use you, all of you. All of you, all of you. You know what I mean? The whole, the whole of all of you. But he wants you to sit at his feet. He wants you to hang out in the living room. He wants you to be more than you do. He wants you to be more than you do. 
So Jesus, we love you. We're so thankful for who you are, God. We're so thankful for who you are, God. You don't have to use us, but you choose to, Jesus. You choose to. You choose to have us partner with you. You choose to trust us with strategies from heaven. You choose to do that. But, Lord, we want to be a people that is, is worth. We want to be a people that is worth all of that. We want to be a people who walk in a manner worthy of you. We want to be a people that live lives that is worth the sacrifice of the cross. So, Jesus, teach us to grow small. Teach us to grow small. Come and purify our hearts. Purify our hearts, God. Give us clean hands. Let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Come and teach us to see what you see and feel what you feel. Break our hearts, God, for the things that break yours, and then teach us to love like you love, that this world may be transformed. You used 12 men, Jesus. There are more than 12 of us. But God, we want to do it your way and only your way. We love you, Jesus. Before I end, I'm going to share two weeks ago, maybe, I was, um, I'm actually just going to read it. Um, I was sitting with Jesus and asking for strategy. And I was praying specifically for our nation. And I'm not going to read a whole bunch. But do not engage in negative speech over my nation. Do not engage in negative speech over my nation. Bless her. Bless her with health and wholeness. Bless her with a reformed education system. Bless her with a reformed healthcare system. Bless her with a government that is for her people and not for themselves. Not a person, not a party, a government that is for her people and not for themselves. Bless her with God-given identity. Bless her with healthy family. Bless her with right understanding of gender and my agenda to set people free. Because by the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted. Sometimes kingdom strategy doesn't make sense. We feel like we should be out there doing a whole bunch and Jesus is saying, just bless America. Like just use your words and your God-given authority and bless her. Amen. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com. 